But I don't know about you, I feel like uh, this week is like the most disappointing Sunday of all time, isn't it? Like we just came out of Easter, it's like bouncy castles and free coffee and danishes and the whole thing, baptisms, and then we come back to reality this week and like the coffee costs money and there's like the danishes are stale and the baptism tank is finally cooled down after like almost killing me last weekend. Um, and so it just feels like we kind of get back into normal routine, normal rhythm, which actually can be a really good thing. And I think our text today as we continue in our Words to Live By series um, is really fitting because it provides a bit of a framework for life after Easter. What do we do after Easter? How do we, how do we follow Easter Sunday? What does it mean to live as people post-resurrection. It provides a framework for life in the kingdom, or as I like to call it, the good life. I've been fascinated by this idea of the good life in our society and in our hearts and our minds. Uh, how many times have you said it? This is the life. Whether you're you know, lounging on a beach or sipping overpriced wine at a winery and you're like, this is the life. This is, the, this is what I live for. Um, I distinctly remember my wife uh, when I was, uh, a number of years ago, I was kind of in between jobs and I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I got really good at making brunch. And uh, I distinctly remember, it was like a Saturday, um, I was making crepes and my wife was just sitting there watching and she's like, this is the life. My stay-at-home husband making me food. Uh, that way, that's her good life. That's her good life in her heart. And so, ladies, find yourself a man who struggles to find a job but makes a very good breakfast. That's the good life, according to my wife. No, we are fascinated by this idea, aren't we? That the good life, that this life, this life out there, somewhere out there. In 2018, Yale University actually offered a class called Psychology and the Good Life. And almost immediately, this class became the most popular class in Yale's over 300-year history, with about one in four students on campus registering for the course. In, in 2021, by 2021, over 3.3 million people had registered for this course. We are fascinated by the good life, the life you long for, the life you, you dream about. We all have some vision of it. What is it for you? What's your vision of the good life? The, the, that vision of what life should or even could look like, that, that vision of life that resides deep in your heart and deep in your imagination that compels you to get up every morning, the good life. It's the life we all want. I'm often considering this question as I, as I engage in our, in our world, in our culture. Um, we don't live and follow Jesus in a vacuum, right? We live in this culture, in this context, which is complex and pluralistic, and it's, it's, it's post-Christian, it's digital. There's all sorts of competing ideas and beliefs and value systems that we live with each and every day. I'm often thinking of this question as I watch TV shows or read the news or see what my friends are posting on social media. What vision of the good life is being offered what vision of the good life is being portrayed or revealed? And because our world is so formative, means that any vision of the good life that we do hold needs to be examined and reevaluated and even at times reformed in light of Jesus' vision of the good life. 
in light of what Jesus says life is all about. And in this series, we've come back to this one verse um, a number of times where, where Jesus asks Peter, he says, are you gonna leave me? Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of life. He has the words of life. And all throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he's talking about a kingdom, a kind of way of living that brings life, the good life. And in our text today, we get a picture of how we access that kingdom, what it looks like to enter into that kind of kingdom. Matthew 16 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I imagine these words are somewhat familiar for you, words that you maybe heard before. In this text, we get this really great invitation to follow Jesus, to, to enter into what following Jesus is all about. And the context for this text is that Peter is just, uh, Jesus has just told his disciples he's going to suffer and die and be crucified. This is pre-cross. So he's preparing them for what's about to come and he's telling them these things. And Peter, thinking Jesus is just out of his mind, grabs Jesus and the text says he begins rebuking him, which is just, just never a good idea uh, to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus in turn re replies, and, and it's kind of a famous response, and he says this, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It's, it's just, uh, rule of thumb, it's, it's never a good idea. It's never a good thing when Jesus calls you Satan. Uh, it's just never a good moment, right? Like something has gone wrong in that, in that picture. But Jesus uses such strong language because Peter, without even realizing it, is no longer following Jesus. Jesus has his mind set on what he has to do to be obedient. And Peter, without even realizing it, has gotten in the way of Jesus. And there's a little bit of a play on words here. Um, uh, this is what Jesus says. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In Peter's vision of the good life, Jesus is on the throne and Peter's probably close to Jesus. He has a vested interest in Jesus staying alive because in Peter's vision of the good life, Jesus is alive and they're kind of ruling and conquering together. And, P and Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, and that phrase is literally translated as whoever wants to get behind me. That's how it reads in the Greek. And it's a bit of a play on words because Jesus has just said to Peter, get behind me. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, whoever wants to get behind me. And we translate it as whoever wants to be my disciple because in that day, a disciple would literally follow their rabbi around. They would walk behind them. They would follow them around. That's where their place was. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, I imagine it's at this point you're like, can we go back to Easter Sunday? Like, the, can we get the bouncy castle back up and 
pour some free coffee and get those danishes back because no one is really that excited about self-denial, right? Like it doesn't actually really draw a crowd. In fact, it's facetiously been said, if you want to build a church, just don't talk about self-denial. If you want to draw a crowd, don't talk about this text because we don't tend to like it. We, if you want people to show up, don't talk about dying to self because in our culture, in our context, um, we live in a culture that's very opposite from self-denial. In fact, I would say it's the, the absolute opposite. It's self-fulfillment. It's instant gratification. It's a culture where we get what we want, when we want. We have all of these cultural voices and, and, and people, faces like Oprah, who tell us to be true to yourself, Right? to be authentic, to be true, to follow your heart, to live your best life, which is really just code for do whatever the heck you want, whenever you want, however you want. Like, don't let any other authority uh, speak into your life. You be you, be true to yourself. In our culture's vision of the good life, being true to yourself is at the very center we just have to recognize this tension that we live in at times because uh, it's not that it's, um, it's just out of fashion or inconvenient. Self-denial is like downright wrong in our culture where self-fulfillment is everything, where you and your desires, the self, are really at the center of the good life. And it's a tension we all live in. We feel it every day. As a side note, this is why the prosperity gospel is so popular. This is why people flock to preachers who tell them that God wants to give you all the desires of your heart, including the Ferrari and the mansion and the pool and all of it. Uh, we kind of like that. That feels good. Like I'm preaching the wrong message this morning. Um, I kind of like that idea of God becomes sort of like my genie in a bottle and I get whatever I want whenever I want. That will grow a church. But self-denial, taking up your cross, death to self, that sounds painful and uncomfortable and hard. Most of us like the idea of Jesus dying for us, but we're less comfortable with the idea of dying with Jesus. And yet the template that we get over Easter that we celebrate, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus becomes the template for us as we follow Jesus and experience his good life, the resurrection life of Jesus and his kingdom. And honestly, for me, it was this idea that I actually found really compelling. One of the things that drew me sort of back to Jesus after growing up in a Christian home and having amazing Christian parents and sort of more or less leaving my faith behind in my late teens, um, one of the things that drew me back was the disappointing reality of our culture's vision of the good life. Somewhere along the way, I realized that getting a good education so that I could get the highest paying job, so that I could buy the biggest house with all of the toys and retire as early as possible so I could like try to pick up golfing and do whatever the heck I wanted with the rest of my life just somehow did not feel compelling to me anymore. It didn't get me going. It didn't motivate me. It's as though I started to see through it like so many people have as sort of an empty shell, as a hollow dream. Jim Carrey once famously said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. While I certainly did not get rich or famous, uh, I started to see that my life built around my desires, built around me at the center, would not fulfill. It was empty and shallow and void of any deeper meaning than just good feelings and temporary happiness. 
And Jesus' words became compelling for me. They took on a different shape, and I hope they do for you as well this morning. Because Jesus goes on and says this, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, in Jesus' vision of the good life, a life of discipleship to him, a kind of death is required. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, wrote this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's this great paradox right at the center of our faith that the way to life is through death, that the doorway to new life is through death, that freedom and peace and joy come not from putting me first, but in laying me down, in self-denial, not self-fulfillment, that life, abundant life that Jesus speaks of, life to the full, requires a kind of death. Death is the doorway into the good life of Jesus' kingdom. The Christian word I grew up with is surrender. Some of you maybe grew up with a different word, yielding, laying down, letting go. It's where we place our decisions, our desires, our ambitions, our plans over to Jesus. We place them under his authority. Where instead of doing whatever we want, whenever we want, we come under the authority of Jesus. We place our time and our money and our sexuality and our decisions, and our dreams under his authority. We learn to surrender to Jesus, to do things his way, to take up his way of life. Dying to yourself means letting go of the idea that you know what's best for you. And it's interesting that many people come to that point. Many people come to Jesus after they've hit rock bottom. Right? Like if it's a, a broken marriage or a relationship or a, a tragedy or, or an addiction maybe. Many people come to a point where they're ready to surrender after they hit rock bottom. And there's this phrase people will say. They'll say, I came to the end of myself. Right? I came to the end of myself. It's as though it's like takes us going to the end of ourself, pursuing this cultural vision of the good life in our own strength and by our own efforts that revolves around our own desires. When we finally exhaust that, we realize that there's a better vision of life being offered to us by Jesus. There's a better way of living that leads us to life in every sense of the word. But it takes the shape of the cross. If you really want to live, you have to die. You have to come to the end of yourself as Lord and choose to let Jesus be Lord. Death is this doorway into the good life of Jesus' kingdom. Ann Voskamp writes this, to let your life become shaped like a cross is to become more fully human and most fully like Christ. We become more human. And one of the reasons I love this text is that Jesus is just so honest and, and invitational. Notice that this isn't a command he gives to us. He doesn't say, you must follow me. You must follow me. You must get behind me. He says, whoever wants to. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Jesus just operates by invitation, whoever wants to. It's an open invitation for each one of us. It's like, you want to follow me, you can. You want to experience life 
you can. Whoever wants to be my disciple. But also notice, he doesn't even try to sell or persuade us on following him. He doesn't tell us, like he doesn't give us this PR kind of marketing pitch to follow him. He just tells us how it is, right? He doesn't tell us to not chase after the world and gain the whole world. He just, ha he tells us what happens when we do. We lose our soul. The Greek word there is the same word that's translated for life. We lose our life. And it's important we talk about self-denial, taking up our cross in our culture, in our context today, because again, everything pushes us the opposite way. It's like working a new muscle. It's uncomfortable. It's hard. It's awkward. It's painful at times. It's like swimming upstream. It's like we're going the opposite way of everything that we live and breathe in in our culture. And so we need to think very carefully about this idea of self-denial and surrender and taking up our cross. Are we willing to let go and let Jesus be Lord? Are we willing to let go of those things that we know are not in line with his kingdom? Are we willing to let go of control? This question is at the very heart of following Jesus. And it's one we each have to reckon with. But what we don't talk about enough in this equation of dying to self and taking up our cross, all these things that sound painful and at times are very painful. Like I like control as much as the next person. It is hard. It is a painful process to surrender control over to someone else, to give up autonomy, to give up agency over your life. It is painful at times. But what we often miss is that in dying to ourselves, we get far more than we lose. Right, this is the beauty of Jesus and his kingdom. As we follow him, we get so much more than we lose. We get Jesus. We get life in his kingdom. We get the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and faithfulness and gentleness and much more. We get life in the kingdom, knowledge of who Jesus is, this deep and lasting love of the father. We get the promise of life after death. It is costly but you get far more than you lose. And there's a cost, not just to following Jesus, but there's a cost the other way. There's a cost to not following Jesus as well. There's a cost to non-discipleship, going your own way. Again, Jesus spells it out for us. It's this great paradox. You might gain the whole world. You might gain the good life according to your heart or culture or whoever, but in the process, you may lose your soul you may lose something much more valuable. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And I think Jesus' words here are intended to provoke us a little bit. He paints a picture that is somewhat black and white. He gets us thinking. It's almost like you're in or you're out. You're either following me or you're not. And I think he does this very intentionally because each of us have to reckon with this decision, am I willing to let go and follow Jesus? It's the very center of our faith is this decision. But the reality is for most of us, I imagine, it's not that we're either following Jesus or like complete atheists. I imagine for most of us, we're somewhere in between where we're like 100% in, in a lot of ways. And then there's parts of our life that we're just not quite ready to let go of. There's, a, there's parts of us that are fully in, fully surrendered, fully yielding to the will of God. And then there's this other area 
that we just kind of can't let go of our grip on. We're unwilling to let go of. We don't want to hand it over because we don't know if Jesus knows what's best for us. Or we kind of like it. We kind of enjoy having control over this area of our life. Dying to self is both a decision we make once as we follow Jesus, as well as an ongoing process we make each and every day. In fact, when Luke records Jesus' words, he says them this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Each and every day, there's this invitation both to follow Jesus, yes, to experience life, abundant life, the good life, according to Jesus, and an invitation to die, to take up our cross, to die to ourself. And maybe for you, there's just one area of your life, even now as I speak, that there's, Jesus is just kind of tugging on, like it comes to mind right away. And you just know that there's an area of your life you have not let go of. You haven't surrendered. You haven't given over to Jesus. You're kind of clinging to, holding on to. An obstacle to experiencing the good life. It could be sinful, right? It could be something that you just know you're convicted of that is just not living according to Jesus' kingdom and his will a sinful habit or tendency, something that you've just been holding on to that you know is wrong that you need to let go of. Or it could just be something that's neutral, a, a desire, an ambition, a plan you have that you aren't ready to let go of. You're just holding on to. I think sometimes the work of the Spirit is just to gently convict us, gently reveal to us where we need to die where we need to let go of control, where we need to yield. All of us have areas in our life where we need to die, to take up our cross each and every day. And as we do, we say yes to these decisions, we, we, to die to ourselves. we move closer to Jesus and his good life. Those small decisions between yes or no, small decisions between watching something or turning off the TV, between going into the search bar or putting the phone away, between lying to get ahead or telling the truth and staying behind, between making that biting comment or staying quiet, between judging someone quietly or saying nothing at all and asking God for forgiveness. It's in all of these small decisions that we learn to die. And as we do, we begin to experience the good life of Jesus, the life he talks about all through his ministry, kingdom life, one of freedom and peace and joy and gratitude and so much more. We gain far more than we lose in the process. There's a story and a book that I love um, called The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. As the band's gonna come as we close. Um, it's one of my favorite books. Uh, it, it provides kind of a fictional uh, account of like heaven and hell. It's probably not where you want to like go for all of your theological doctrine, uh, but it's a fictional account and it's fascinating. And in it, C.S. Lewis describes a person from hell who is making a visit to the outskirts of heaven. Again, fiction. And, and this person who's coming from hell, he has a lizard of lust riding on his shoulder. And he's met by a heavenly being who offers to take care of that lizard. 
And the person at first is all for it because he's been tormented by this lizard of lust, this fictional thing. He's been tormented and so he's all for it. But as the heavenly being reaches out to kill the lizard, the person recoils because so much of their identity has been misshapen and formed by this lizard. But in the end, this person allows the heavenly being to kill the lizard, but in the process, the person he was, quote, dies. He becomes someone else, someone new, someone entirely different. Out of his death, he is transformed into an entirely new person. And it's a picture of what happens when we surrender. It's painful at times. And yet out of surrender, out of letting go, out of dying to ourselves, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and learning to follow Jesus, this ongoing process, we discover a whole new life. It's what we sing about and celebrate on Easter. It's resurrection life. It's the good life according to Jesus. When we come to the end of ourselves and say yes to Jesus' invitation, it's then we begin to experience his kingdom life. And we gain far more in the process than we lose. And so I wonder if we could just close by taking a minute to reflect and maybe just pay attention to the areas of our life. Maybe there's something for you that's just been top of mind all morning that you know the Spirit of God is just gently highlighting or tugging on you to say this area of your life is, is out of line. This area, this thing, this tendency, this habit, this practice needs to die in order to experience the life Jesus has for you. But I wonder if we could take a minute and just reflect on this question. Is there something that needs to die in my life in order to experience the good life of Jesus' kingdom? Is there something that needs to die in my life? And we'll just take a minute and open ourselves up to the Spirit of God to do His work in us as He reveals and highlights and open our, opens our eyes to see and so Holy Spirit, we just invite you to gently, graciously, kindly come as you do and just reveal to us, Lord, is there an area of our lives, is there an area of my life that needs to die in order to experience your life? Is there an area that I need to let go of, surrender, yield over to you? Do you reveal that to me, to us? Come Holy Spirit. Jesus, we just confess that we are a work in progress, that we need your, your refining, your healing, your mending, your shaping. We need your transformation. And so God, I pray for each one of us in this moment as we reflect on an area of our life, a tendency, something that we just have held on to that we know needs to let go, needs to, to die from our lives. I pray you would help us do that. I pray you would do your work in our hearts, God. Work only you can do. 
So we just yield to you. We surrender to you this morning. You're a good and gracious God. You have our very best interest in mind. You give us this teaching because you have our, our very best interest in mind. You have our best in mind as you say, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You love us and you care for us. And so God, we pray you would help us do that. You would help us follow you well to be faithful to you, to surrender, to let go. Because as we do, we get far more than we lose. And so Holy Spirit, thank you for your work. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.